Good morning, all. How's everybody? Be turning your Bibles, the book of Acts, chapter 16. We have concluded our series on traction or distraction. Um, and uh, Raphael told me I could preach on whatever I wanted to preach on today. So, uh, to use his uh, terminology, he said, dealer's choice. Uh, you can ch- you choose to preach on whatever you want to preach on. So, uh, I'm going to be preaching today on Timothy, which I think is going to be a great uh, study for us. And uh, hopefully, an uh, inspiring study for us. I've entitled it, They Spoke Well of Him. You guys in Acts 16? Okay, we're going to pick up in Acts 16. This is... Uh, Sort of in between the first and second missionary journeys, and uh, Paul and Barnabas had established the churches, and then they had decided to go uh, separate ways and trying to figure out how to minister to the churches uh, that they had established and, and uh, things. And we pick up with Paul in uh, chapter 16, verse 1. It says, He came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived. Now, sometimes people say, Well, Paul converted. Uh, Timothy, he obviously didn't, right? Because he shows up and what does he find? He finds a disciple there named Timothy. So, Paul did not uh, convert Timothy, but he's going to be very involved with his life as we'll see. But anyway, it goes on to say that uh, Timothy lived whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. And so Timothy is from a family where his mother is a disciple and it seems quite clear that his father is not. Verse 3, Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders of Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. Now the things I'm going to be pointing out here, sort of the three points during the course of our sermon, are these qualities about Timothy that I think are outstanding. Number one is willingness. And we're going to see this from our our text here in Acts 16. Willingness, genuineness, and weakness are the things that we see in this guy, Timothy, that I think are things that we can have in our life, right? We can be willing, we can be genuine, and we can be weak. And he has these things in his life. And really the last thing ought to be a great encouragement for all of us. Because sometimes, you know, you you might look at uh, a guy like Timothy and say, wow, this is just a hyper disciple. You know, this is a disciple that I can't even relate with. He's so perfect and he's so wonderful. The, The fact is, is that he's just a normal person like you and me. And he has weakness. And one of the things that I always appreciate about the Bible is that the Bible doesn't shy away from telling us the weaknesses of people that are lifted up as being sort of models in the Bible. They're a model, they're a great example, but they also have weaknesses. And that should be an encouragement for all of us. I know it is to me. Because I look at my life sometime and I think, you know, Marty, you're not perfect. I don't know, you guys must look in the mirror and think you're perfect, right? That's your impression of yourself? <laughs> Hopefully not. Uh, and and I, I really think no. All of us, we, we look in the mirror sometimes uh, of, the, of our life and say, oh, I'm falling short here. I'm not what I need to be there. I'm not as good enough here as I need to be in those kind of things. And Timothy has weakness in his life as well. But we're going to get to weakness in a minute. Here we see the quality of willingness. Now his mom is a Jewish... His father's a Greek. 
And apparently, when he was born, his father's will was the will they decided to go with about this young boy. Because this young, half-Jewish boy was not circumcised on the eighth day, as is a tradition for the Jews, right? Now, we don't know exactly how old he is. But we know that he's old enough that in the description of his life is his mom and dad. Okay? Now, I'm 61 years old. If you describe me, you don't say, well, you know, Marty, uh, you know, his dad. No, 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 no. Okay, well, let's go down a few years. Dave, how old are you? 49. Dave, Dave's, he's a little younger than me. Would you describe Dave and say, okay, describing Dave, his mom, and his dad? No. No. Okay, who's in their 30s around here? Got any 30-year-olds? Margaret is in her 30s. I, I didn't hear what was mumbled down there, but I don't want to hear it. You wouldn't describe Margaret, uh, and part of the description of her would be her mom and dad, 30. Okay, how about, how about anybody 20? Got any 20-year-olds over here? Stella is 20. Now, you know what? In truth, if you were describing Stella, who's in her 20s, you might actually say something about her mom and dad. Right? Because, you know, a 20-year-old person is not necessarily on their own. They're not necessarily married, etc., uh, etc. Et How about a teenager? Yeah, if you describe their teenager, a teenager, uh, you would most likely say, well, yeah, she or he is the daughter or son of so-and-so and so-and-so. How old is Timothy? We don't know. But we can probably guesstimate, if you know what I'm saying, somewhere in his late teens, early 20s, in his 20s, he's probably not living out on his own. He's a young man at this time. And what does Paul decide that needs to happen? It says in verse 2, The brothers of Lystra and Iconium both spoke well of him. That's the title of the message. They spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him. Wow! (laughs) Evidently, Timothy agreed that in lieu of the things that we're going to be doing, being being an uncircumcised Jewish person would not be a good idea. And so, he was willing to go along with it. He was committed. Now, I want to give us a little bit of a memory shock here. Look back to Luke 9. We're going to look at, look at Luke 9 and Luke 14 about sort of fundamental fundamentals of what does it mean in, in a sense of commitment to be a follower of Jesus. Okay? Now, for some of us, this is, this is review, but it's always good to go back over fundamental and basic things, right? In Luke 9, verse 23, this is Jesus speaking. He says, And He said to them all, If anyone... Who does anyone include? Anyone. Anyone includes anyone. It includes me and you, right? Yeah. 
anyone. This is not just for the really committed or the super committed or the really serious people. This is for anyone who's going to follow Jesus. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. This is the basic of all basics of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you're going to have to deny yourself. Which is obviously not our nature. Our nature is to indulge ourselves. You're going to have to deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. Following Jesus is not something you do on Sunday. Following Jesus is something you do daily. This is something that's going on in your life on a daily basis. Seven days a week. This is not a casual thing. This is a serious thing. You know, for most people who call themselves Christians, their Christianity is a part of their life. They have this part of their life, that part of their life, you know. They have their life segmented off in different chapters and and, and, uh, different quarters and that kind of a thing. Following Jesus is the life of someone who is a true follower of Jesus. You take up your cross daily and you follow Jesus. This is very personal. This is not something that someone would do and not notice it. Well, I guess I'm a Christian. Um, My mom and dad are Christians, I think. That kind of description is so foreign from Luke 9.23. Luke 9.23 here, you do this because you have thought it through. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. This is a serious commitment. We're beginning to get a little bit more of a serious understanding of Timothy. Why would Timothy say yes to being circumcised at 20? Because he said, hey, I've already made a decision to follow Jesus. I didn't know it was necessarily going to involve this. But amen. I'm, I'm, I'm in for it. Okay, look over to Luke 14. Another little statement here from Jesus. A similar statement, but it fleshes us out a little bit more about this idea of following Jesus. In verse 25, Luke 14. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and He turned to them and said... So they've got a big crowd of people following Him. They're following Him, but He's going to thin the crowd here a little bit, I guess. He says, If anyone comes to Me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you, he goes on, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Now most of us have an ambition in life to build a tower, right? Uh, let's, let's use the word house here. Maybe house will give us a, a little closer uh, connection to this. If you wanted to build a house... Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. 
Or suppose a king, now most of us aren't kings, so we have to imagine being a king, but suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. You're about ready to go to war. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men? So you've got an army of 10,000. Keep that number in mind. 10,000 is your army. It's going to go against him, uh, the other king, who has 20,000. Double the size of your army. If he is not able, which is probably true, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. Well, what are the terms of peace going to most likely be? Total surrender. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. This thing of following Jesus, guys, is not casual. It is commitment. It is dead serious. It's something you think about it, you estimate the cost, you count the cost, you imagine what's going to happen, although you can't really imagine everything that's going to happen in your life as it goes on, right? None of us, can, none of us know what's going to happen in our life down the road. But we say, listen, I, I am saying as far as I can make a decision right now, my life is going to be committed to Jesus every day of my life. That's what I'm intending to do. Right? Now, we understand the willingness now. Timothy, we're going to be going out and we're going to be dealing with a lot of Jewish people and it just isn't going to do, I know you're a committed Christian, but it isn't going to do to have you be an uncircumcised Jew. You need to get circumcised before we leave on the journey. And Timothy says, Amen. Not fired up about it? Understand? Let's get it done. He is willing he is committed is another way to put it. But, you know, willingness is an interesting thing. There are a lot of people who want the benefits of being a Christian, particularly the eternal benefits. Yeah, I want to go to heaven after I die. I, I want to have a hope of eternity and living uh, with the Lord and with, with uh, you know, the Lord's people all, all, all my life. But I want to live my life the way I want to live it now. Don't bug me. Don't bug me. Or, or I, I want to become a Christian like the, the last five minutes of my life. I, 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 want to, I, I want to live the way I want to live all the way through. And then, okay, it's almost over. Where's the water? I want to get baptized. I hope they have a baptistry in this hospital. You know, uh, or that, that kind of a thing. That's not really true Christianity. True Christianity is you realize Jesus died on the cross for you. You want to live your life to have an impact on people's lives around you. You want to do something with your life. And you say, listen, I realize I've been living a selfish life. It's time for me to submit myself to Jesus. I'm going to have a purpose in life that's going to go beyond anything I ever could have imagined. Let's go. I'm fired up. I'm committed. When a person gets baptized, can they even imagine all that they're going to go through in their life? No. No way. No how. You don't know all the suffering, all the good things that are going to happen. The bad and the good. But you're saying, okay, I'm willing. 
You know, for some of us, we look at things like, okay, how could someone make a decision that they want to go into the ministry and go on a mission place and go, go to, go to Europe, you know, go to Africa, go to uh, South America, you know, uh, go learn another language, give up your career. How could you ever do that? Listen, if you're a true Christian, you're willing. You're ready to go. Let's go. I don't even need to know the answer to all the questions. I know the answer to the main question. Jesus is the Lord of my life, and my Lord, my, my life is Jesus's to use. You know, I think some people who make a decision to go into the ministry, probably some give up more than others. You know, I have to laugh. My major in, in, in college was industrial education. Now, the way most of us say that is shop. <laughs> I don't think it would be appropriate for me to say, man, if I had not gone into the ministry, I was going to make a million dollars. Not coaching wrestling and teaching shop. So what did I give up? I don't know. I gave up a lot, I guess. I gave up whatever I had. I know some people that made the decision going through the ministry, they gave up careers where they were going to make a lot of money. But they were willing. Timothy is willing. What an incredible thing. You know, no wonder... It says that the people of both Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Why would they speak so well of him? Because apparently he had proved himself enough around them that they said, Timothy, yeah, he is, he is a true Christian. He's a great guy. That's why they spoke well of him. Okay, well, let's go and look at another passage here. Look over to Philippians chapter 2. This is down the road now awaits. Okay? This is down the road. By the way, don't get too judgmental about my grades in school and uh, my major and all that, you know. I'm up here openly sharing, you know, some of you guys, you know. You're sitting out there hoping you don't have to share, you know. And you, you know, you ain't got much to share either. But uh, anyway, this, <laughs> this is down the road. I wouldn't change what I've done for anything. Well, thank you. That's kind of you to say. Now, this is down the road. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, one of the churches that they established as they, go, as they went through on the second missionary journey. So they get this church established, and then Paul is, is later on down the road writing a letter to them, to the church in Philippi. That's why it's called Philippians, okay? And look over in chapter 2, verse 19. Remember, he's speaking to the church. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Now, they would have known Timothy, right? Because Timothy was on the missionary journey. When their church was established, Timothy was one of the guys who was there helping get this church started that they were now a part of. Uh, I hope to send Timothy to you soon uh, that I also uh, may be cheered when I receive news about you. So he says, I'm going to send Timothy to you and then Timothy will send me information about how you guys are doing and I can't wait to hear how you guys are doing. I know Timothy will write me a nice letter. Now look what he says in verse 20. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know 
that Timothy has proved himself. Because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Wow! What a thing to say about Timothy! He says, I have no one else like him. Well, who is Paul surrounded by? He's surrounded by disciples. He said, even among the people that are with me, the other disciples, Timothy is unique. Why? Because he takes a genuine interest in your welfare. He really cares about you people. And he goes on down and says that he has proved himself. So Timothy here is unusual even among disciples. He's quite a guy, quite a young man. That he genuinely cares for them. And apparently the way he conducted himself in such a way that that, that, that was obvious to Paul and obvious to many of those people as well. This genuine concern for people. Look over to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Timothy is, uh, 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 I, I would say he is more loving than me, uh, and probably more loving than probably a lot of us. Not to judge any of you wrong, maybe you're as loving as Timothy, and if you are, then to God be the glory. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm going to say this guy's out there. He's really a loving, uh, concerned kind of a person. And I want us to understand now, and what we're looking at in 1 Timothy is Paul's letter to Timothy about how to be a good minister. And remember, this is to someone that is phenomenally loving. Yet, in the midst of that, Paul is teaching him how to be a good minister. And he says some really interesting things. That just because you're loving doesn't necessarily mean you've got everything else in your life on straight. We're going to pick it up in verse 6. He starts off, he makes some comments there in chapter 4, but in verse 6 he says, If you point these things out to the brothers, you'll be a good minister of Christ Jesus. So he says, hey, if you do these things, you're going to be a good minister. So, you've got to do some things if you're going to be a good minister, right? Brought up in the truth, faith, and the good teaching that you followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value. You know, if you're an athlete in your background, you know that to be true, right? Bobby was a, a track athlete at Ole Miss. Uh, we've got some other athletes in here, don't we? Some of you guys are college athletes, a lot of high school athletes. Any college athletes other than Bobby here? Yeah, uh, Long Beach State down over there with the volleyball, right? Track and volleyball. Wow. Two-sport athlete. Chris was a, a softball player and a volleyball player. Uh, too. So the, the women here are obviously more athletic than the men. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and so, but we understand, we understand this idea about training. Uh, he says, train yourself 
Look at that. Train yourself. Now we know this is, this is being written to a guy who's really loving and genuine in his love for people. But he says, I, that's okay, but you need to train yourself to be godly. You know, you, we might think, hey, he's already loving. Why are you challenging him further? Well, apparently because there's more involved than just being a loving person. If you want to be a good minister here, you've got to train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value in all things, holding promise for both present life and a life to come. Come on down to verse 11. He says, command and teach. Wow. A minister is to command and teach. Okay? These things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Well, see, there again, he's sort of a young guy, isn't he? He's probably in his 20, maybe he's 22, 23, 24, uh, uh, 25 about this time. He's still comparatively a young guy. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. In my mind, Timothy was probably short. I don't know. Uh, you know, uh, but he, he just isn't a commanding person. Uh, evidently, super loving. But, you know, there's a chance that, that someone might, you know, look down on him. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, preaching and teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through the prophetic message when the body of the laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters and give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. This is written to a guy who's super loving. And he tells him in verse 7 to train yourself. In verse 13, devote yourself. In verse 15, give yourself wholly. That's phenomenal. He is already known as an incredibly loving guy. Yet Paul is telling him, listen, if you're going to be the kind of minister you need to be, you're going to have to get focused here. You're going to have to train yourself, devote yourself, give yourself wholly. And you would think, well, is this guy sort of a derelict? No, this guy is a great guy. Everybody who knew him spoke well of him. But Paul says if you're going to really develop into the man that you can be, you're going to have to be very serious. And what's the last thing he says? If you do this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. He's willing. He's genuine. Yet Paul is still challenging him to get his life where it needs to be. You know, how old of a disciple he was at this time, we don't know. But we know and we can infer that he certainly had been a disciple for several years. And he'd gone on a missionary journey, left his parents, left his hometown, and and he was out sacrificing uh, his life and giving his life for the service of the Lord in his time. 
yet he is still challenged to get his life where it needs to be. There are many of us in this room, including me, that have been Christians for a long time. You know, sometimes you think, well, I've been a Christian for 10 years. I've been a Christian for 20 years. I've been a Christian a long time. I don't need to be challenged anymore. Haven't I already proven myself? Well, Timothy had already proved himself, hadn't he? Sure he had. We are in a lifelong battle against our flesh, against our sinful nature, against our desire to be in the world and accepted by the world. I was talking to one of the brothers this week and I said, you know, hey, you know, you got baptized, you're a disciple, that doesn't mean that you don't still struggle with things. There's not a disciple in this room that doesn't struggle with sin in their life. Most men struggle with lust, lying, the worldly part of your person. And just because you got baptized doesn't mean it goes away. Men struggle with lust and anger almost to a person. Not a woman, so I'm not going to make a judgment about that. I'll leave that for the next Women's Day. (laughs) And you all can talk about that among yourselves. (laughs) Just because you're a disciple doesn't mean it goes away. And you have to continue to be challenged. You have to continue to rededicate yourself and refocus yourself and reset yourself. You go through times where you realize, hey, I'm not where I need to be spiritually. I need to get myself going. Maybe that describes where some of you are at today. What do you think Timothy thought when he got this letter? When he read this part of the letter? Man, I bet he thought, man, Paul is a little bit uh, challenging me here. What do you think? I bet so. But Paul was obviously very serious about it. Being genuine is a great foundation. And it's a great foundation that all of us should desire to have. But we have to build on that foundation as we go through life. But I want to get to this weakness thing. Because it's very interesting. Look over in chapter 5, verse 21. He says, I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels. Wow, that's a big charge. (laughs) Let me read that to you again if you didn't get that. I charge you in the sight of God. That ought to be enough right there. And Christ Jesus and the elect angels. Wow, he is calling upon, you know, the the greats of all time here. You know, we got Muhammad Ali and uh, Michael Jordan and everybody. Uh, You know, the greatest of all time. Uh, To keep these instructions without partiality. And do nothing out of favoritism. Wow. Don't pick favorites. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. That means uh, talking about primarily promoting others into positions of leadership. And do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water. Wow, we're getting specific here. And use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses.
manager. He's, he's giving up his life for Christ. He's awesome. And Paul is saying, hey, I know you have a tendency to pick favorites. Wow. <laughs> he says, hey, no favorites around here. No favoritism. Okay? And don't be just passing out leadership pens all the time. You know? Uh, you got to be careful about who you put in positions of leadership. Don't be hasty and laying on of hands. And by the way, so-and-so told me that you're sick all the time. Quit drinking all that nasty water they got over there in Ephesus. And drink wine. Drink a little wine because of your, your frequent illnesses. you got to quit being sick all the time, dude. you got to take care of your body better. That's incredible to me. I read something like this and I'm like, this, this is phenomenal. We now have a better picture of who this guy is. He's like me and you. He, he's not always healthy. He gets up some morning and says, whoa, I don't feel good. And Paul says, well, it's that, that nasty water you're drinking all the time. <laughs> Instead of drinking that nasty water, you need to get some wine and drink it. Now, you don't need to drink all of it. But <laughs> because then you're going to have another problem we'll have to talk about in the next letter. But, uh, I mean, he's getting down to this very specific. He's a weak person, just like you and just like me. Look over to 2 Timothy in chapter 1. This is another comment that gives us a little snapshot into Timothy and his life. In verse 3, he says, I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. They obviously were close, Paul and Timothy. Father and son kind of relationship. Recalling your tears. So Timothy apparently cried when they had been together previously or probably when they, uh, when they uh, went uh, separate ways. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I've been reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Well, that's nice. Hey, I've been reminded of someone that's really faithful. Reminded me of your mom and your grandmother, and I know that they passed out into you. And here's why he says that. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Now, if you challenge somebody to fan into flame the gift of God, what is the current state of their fire? (laughs) Not as burning hot as it should be, right? That's why you challenge someone to get their fire going if their fire isn't going. You guys with me on that? Fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through laying on my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity. Why do you challenge someone on timidity? Because apparently they are becoming timid. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Timothy was weak, guys. And for me, actually, it's a great encouragement. Because I look at myself sometimes and I say, Marty, you're not, you're not all that you need to be. You're falling short. You're not as loving as you need to be. You're not as committed as you need to be. You're not as zealous as you need to be. I can look at myself in the mirror spiritually and I can begin to see those things. And it's probably things you see in me. Timothy had moments where he wasn't where he needed to be spiritually. 
He was weak physically, sick sometimes. Didn't make the best decisions about his diet. <laughs> I guess, especially his liquid diet. And he needs to sort of get himself back where he needs to be. Understanding that God did not give us a spirit of timidity. I need to quit being afraid. God gave me a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control or self-discipline. This Timothy guy is an unbelievable study, I think, for all of us. Because as Timothy was willing, we should be willing. When we read what Timothy did, we should say, you know, I hope that I'm there. I want to be there. I know I need to be there. I need to be willing to give my life, lay my life down for the Lord. I said I was going to lay it down when I became a Christian. And I should still be there whether I've been a Christian for 10 years, 20 years, or 30 years. I'm willing. I'm genuine. I care about people. You know, one of the main reasons we come to church is to encourage each other. Sometimes you've been a Christian for a long time. You start to think, well, you know, I don't know if if I need church. Church doesn't build me up anymore. You've missed one of the biggest reasons of why we come to church. You're not coming to church so you can be built up. That day passed in your life when you were a young Christian. You came to church when you were a young Christian and you needed all the older Christians to build you up and to take care of you and raise you up in the Lord. You are now the older Christians. Your attitude about coming to church isn't, I'm coming to church so I can be built up. Hopefully you are built up. It should build us up to be with each other, to worship, to hear the Word of God, to take communion. All those things should happen. But I can tell you in my life, if I come to church because of what I'm going to get, I wouldn't come a lot of the time. As an older Christian, you come to church to give of yourself and to love and to encourage and to build up others. It's not all about you. It's about what you can do for others around you. The willingness, the genuineness, and yes, even the weakness is a big part of what we look at when we look at Timothy. Timothy was just like us. He was in a physical body that always didn't function the way we hoped it would or, or wished that it would. And even his spiritual life was always not where it needed to be and it needed to be brought back to center. It needed to be brought back to commitment. I hope our study of Timothy this morning has been good for you. Uh, it's uh, been on my mind to preach this sermon for a while, but we've been doing all the other sermons and so I've been a good boy and preached what I'm supposed to. But uh, I, I hope that our study today has been a helpful one for you. Now, Chris and I are going to be gone next Sunday. We're going to go up to Half Moon Bay, uh, south of San Francisco, and uh, have a couple days on the beach. And uh, I'm super duper looking forward to that. Going to look at the water and smell the air and uh, feel the sand between my toes and, you know, not taking my golf clubs. I want that noted. Uh, but uh, we. <laughs> We're, we're, we're going to get a couple days away. <laughs> Chris has said, amen to that. You ain't taking no golf clubs. Uh, you're taking me. Uh, but uh, Jacob's going to preach next week. I know he'll do a great job. Uh, absence. 
And uh, by the way, I did get a great report from Jacob. They had a super first week of classes at uh, both uh, Cal State LA and at USC. Uh, so uh, hopefully some good things are going to be happening there. Guys, Chris and I are, are honored to be your servants and uh, hope that you have an absolutely fantastic week. God bless.